Before thee let my cry come near, O Lord, true to thy word, teach me before thee. We are thankful that you are able to join us today as Pastor Mark Robinette preaches another sermon at Foundation Church here in Mount Sterling, Ohio. If this message is an encouragement to you, and we pray that it will be, please consider taking the time to go to www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org and let us know. Thank you, and may the Lord richly bless you through His Word. Let my lips thy praise confess, yea, of thy word my tongue would sing, Greetings this Lord's Day, this Father's Day, in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Greetings. You know, every Lord's Day, every uh, every day, really, but not just every day, but every Lord's Day, of course, is Father's Day. The Bible says we have a Father in heaven, and I love the fact that we serve a God who we can call Father. Many of the gods of the world, gods with a small g, and the Bible even uses that terminology. Sometimes I feel funny using the terminology, the gods, uh, but it's in the Bible. Uh, Gods with a small g, those things that are, of course, not gods, none of them ever try to be a father. They're always this uh, remote, transcendent being that can't be touched. Uh, But we serve a God who is our father, right? Our father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Amen? Amen. He's our Father. And today, as some of you are remembering and celebrating uh, the beauty, the beautiful gift that God has given us in uh, in fathers, uh, we need to always certainly be, uh, as fathers, pointing to the Father in heaven and knowing that as fathers, when we interact with our children, that our children are getting a picture of what interacting with God is like. And you might go, well, no, they're not. Well, that's what we're that's what we're shooting for, guys. We want to treat our children the way God treats us. I mean, that we could leave today just with that thought right there, right? You know, we want to treat our children the way God treats us. And how does He treat us, guys? He loves us. He's compassionate. His mercies are new every morning. He has not dealt with us according to our sins or rewarding us according to our iniquities. But he doesn't neglect us, and he doesn't leave us in uh, the state that we were in w- when we come. He loves us, right? And whom the Father loves, he does what? Chasing. He chastens. So loving your children isn't not chastening them. It's not not disciplining them. Uh, but it's not also being too good to read them a book and to sit with them and love them. Uh, but it also helps understand that... that uh, that our teaching them to have friendship with God is important. We need to also, we need to be our children's friends. Amen? Amen. Amen. Today, I'm going to talk about shining faces. Everybody say, shining faces. Shining faces. Psalm 67 says this, and this idea, this concept comes from the book of Numbers that God shines on us. In Psalm 67, it says, God be merciful unto us and bless us, and cause his face to shine upon us. And I love this. Uh, Steve, it opens the psalm and then says, Selah. With that statement. He's like, imagine they're singing the song. And the song starts off. And five seconds into the song, everybody kind of pauses and stops to, re- to just reflect on that. God be merciful unto us and bless us. And cause his face to shine upon us. That thy way may be known upon earth, thy saving heathen among all nations, thy saving health among all nations. Let the people praise thee, O God, and let all the people praise thee. O let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for thou shalt judge the people righteously and govern the nations upon the earth. Let the people praise thee, O God, and let all thy people praise thee. Then shall the earth yield her increase, and God, even our own God, 
shall bless us. How many want the blessing of the Lord today? We want God to shine upon us, to be the sun to whom which we turn. As the plants turn, if you've ever seen slow motion photography of plants, of flowers, as the sun moves across the sky, the flowers somehow, I don't know how they do it, but they turn to follow the sun. May our faces turn toward God and may He shine upon us. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we love You. We thank You for loving us. We thank You for being our Father. Not just our God, but our Father. Lord, for loving us, for chastening us, for pulling us up into Your lap, for holding us and hugging us and comforting us in times of distress and trouble. Lord, we pray today, Lord, that as we come to You, Sinners that we are, Lord, that you would forgive us because we know that you will and that you can. And so we, we, we ask for that. We ask for that because you said that we should come to you confessing our sins and that you will indeed forgive us. We come before you hungering and thirsting after righteousness, knowing that according to your word, we shall be filled. Speak to us from your word and change us that we might be more like you. In Christ's name, and everybody said... standing as I read for you my text for today. My text really is the entire chapter of Psalm 11. So I don't know what week we're on going through the Psalms, but uh, we're progressing nicely, probably about three more years, and we'll make it all the way to the great crescendo, which is <laughs> Psalm 150. Praise ye the Lord. By, by then we may have to get a new floor in the building. Psalm 11 says this, to the chief musician, a psalm of David. In the Lord put I my trust. How say you to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain? For lo, the wicked bend their bow. They make ready their arrow upon the string that they may privately shoot at the upright in heart. If the foundations be destroyed, well, what can the righteous do? The Lord's in His holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold, His eyelids try the children of men. For the Lord trieth the righteous, but the wicked, and him that loveth violence, his soul hateth. Upon the wicked he shall rain snares, fire, brimstone, and a horrible tempest, and shall give them this portion in their cup. For the righteous the Lord loveth, and his countenance doth behold the upright. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we love You. We thank You for loving us. We thank You for changing us day by day and making us more fit for heaven. We thank You for somehow doing what I can't imagine, Lord, but that You have placed our sins in the sea of forgetfulness never to be remembered against us. Lord, I wish I could do that. Lord, You're such an amazing God. Lord, I want to be like You. I want to gaze upon your face I want to behold your face without the veil Lord Lord I want so much Lord for you to change me and transform me as I look to you in Christ's name we pray and all the church said amen, amen. you may be seated I sent uh, Elder Andy Kusel a note when I sent out the readings this week, uh, how many of you saw the, the email that he sent you guys about the benediction? It was really uh, a, not a coincidence, we believe in God's sovereignty, uh, that the article that Andy sent to you guys is uh, talking about what I'm talking about today. Isn't that funny? Uh, and maybe the pride of life set in a little. I wanted people to know for sure that I didn't change up on you. Uh, because I got the, the, uh, the, the note from Andy. But the truth is, is it's kind of an amazing thing. When you look into the Word of God, there's, a, there's hundreds and thousands of things that you could talk about. And to, to have the same thing on my heart and on my good brother's heart at the same time is, should be evidence to us of the working of the Holy Spirit in our church. But I wrote this on Monday. Uh, 
Andrea was visiting her sister. She's out of town, and so uh, I started writing these words then. One of the many directives in the law of God to the priest was to bless the people. Everybody say, bless the people. Now, if we live in a society today that very loosely uses the term, you know, blessings and bless this one and bless that one. A blessing is a very specific thing. There are people who can bless and should bless and who actually do bless. And there are people who just talk about it. Yeah, how many, Paul, do you see these things? I don't know. You're probably not on Facebook much, but, but people are always sending these hands of prayer and something bad happens in someone's life and they're like, I'm sending you my prayers. This is all nonsense, okay? Nobody's sending any prayers that are doing any good by sending them. I'm sending my prayers over to you, brother. And, uh, you know, I'm sending my praying hands through an emoji and it's all going to be good. But there's actual blessings that actually come to God and to God's people. In fact, if you remember in the Old Testament, there were times when the blessing was such a huge, important thing that people really, really, really wanted it, right? You guys remember how uh, the man of God was, you know, he's reaching his hand out to bless the one and, and they, they, he crosses his hands and he, he, bl he blesses the children differently and, and uh, he's laying, you know, Israel's laying his hands on his children. He's blessing them. Uh, Jacob wants so much to get the blessing from Isaac that he deceives him, right? Right, all this blessing. So if all of that, is it superstition? Or is there real blessing? When people lay their hands on people or when people lift their hands toward people to offer their blessings, are they, are they real things? And sometimes, you know, growing up the way I did, we, were, we grew up to hate a man's tradition. And I really think it was probably one of the most damaging things that I was taught growing up in the church I grew up in. Man's traditions do not have to be a bad thing. It's when the traditions of God, traditions of men make the word of God of none effect that they're horrible things. But, 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 so because of this, when I would see something, and you guys have seen this, if you haven't seen it in real life, you've seen it in movies, and there'll be a guy, and he will do this, and he will, he'll do these things that he does, and he, right, these priests do these things, and the person is dying, and they put the thing over their thing, and they go down, and they give them their last rites, and they do all this stuff. All of this stuff that seems to be very Catholic-y, very, oh, you know, very uh, Romish or whatever, it certainly does have its origins in the Word of God. Now, I'm not trying to say we should cross ourselves, but there's really no prohibition against doing that. But to be superstitious about a piece of clothing, of course, would not, you know, be uh, consistent with the Scriptures. But there's certainly a blessing. When someone lays their hands on you and they pray for you, or when a leader is... Uh, brought to serve the church and people lay their hands upon them. There's something actually happening. Just like when we baptize a child, we don't know exactly what God is doing and how he's doing it or when he even does it, but there's something important about the act of what we are doing. Amen? Amen. And there is an important thing about blessing. And it was interesting to me when I got to the end of Psalm 11 and I read the words about God's countenance on us, I remembered the, the saying, and many people say this, and this is not, I, of all the scripture I've memorized, I don't have this memorized. And you would think I would. I've seen it on necklaces. I've, I've heard people say it. I've heard people write it. But, but for some reason, I haven't memorized this blessing. But I'm going to memorize this blessing. And I will be saying this blessing. And I will be offering this blessing to you. And you might go, well, what, what is, what, so, so what? Well, I'm going to tell you, right, there's no so what to it. This is a real business. When I get in this pulpit to preach the Word of God, do you know that God actually speaks to you through me? Not because, you know, my shirt is pressed properly and not because I prayed so many hours, but because God has chosen me to be here to speak to you in the gathering of the people. God says in His Word, where two or three are gathered into His place, there will I be in the midst of you, right? And when God gathers and... My job is to speak God's word. And when you hear the words of my voice, you should be listening for God. I'm certainly not your God. I certainly am not infallible. I'm not pretending to be like the Pope or anything like that. But I do know that when my mouth opens, that God's word comes out of it. I used to call my wife regularly when leaving Bible studies at people's house. And I said, oh, honey. She said, how did it go? I said, God picked me up like a trumpet and he played me tonight. 
And I knew what it was like to feel God speaking to his people through me. And what it does for me is it makes me love God and it makes me love you more because I know that God wants to speak to his people and he uses me. And I know that I'm just a guy. I know that I have problems or that I may, you know, I, I actually eat rallies on occasions and, and, and I know that I'm just a guy. But the God of heaven speaks through me. Just like the God of heaven spoke through a donkey or he spoke through the, the rooster that crowed for Peter. God speaks through his people. And in the book of Numbers, it is a, uh, an important note here that God commands the, the Levites, the priests, to bless the people. And he tells them to bless them. And Andy and I were actually talking about this a little bit before church because of the email that went out. But a lot of people have no idea how a blessing should be given and how a blessing should be taken. So we're going to do a little blessing practice. Are you ready? I know this is really, really crazy. I'm, next week, I'm not going to wear a miter on my head or anything like that. But, but God says this. For those of you that get uncomfortable, God said in his word, okay, and I'll read it from Numbers chapter 6. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and to his son saying, on this wise shall you bless the children of Israel saying these words to them. Now, how many are comfortable receiving a blessing that God has said that his priests should offer the people? Would you guys be comfortable with that? Amen. All right. So I know we got to kind of shake off our, our anti-Romish thing there. Not that we're for Rome, but Rome didn't have everything wrong. And God gave him the words. Now, if God gives you an exact word to an exact blessing, how many think that you should maybe try to use those words? Now, I don't know Hebrew, uh, and I don't speak Hebrew fluently. We're not magicians who believe that, you know, somehow there are magic words. But if God gives words to say, we should probably say them. And so he said the words like this. Now, I'm going to offer you this blessing. Are you ready? You ready to get it? Okay. Now, oftentimes when we do the benediction at the end of the service, I tell you to raise your hands. And so what I want you to do is my hands are facing towards you, okay? And what I want you to do is I want you to turn your hands this way and I want you to receive it. Like if I were throwing a football to you, Steve, right? To throw the football, my hand is going to be out and your hands are going to be how? You're going to catch it. Now, so this is a tradition and it's, not a, it's a liturgical position that reminds us how we are receiving something that God is sending. So God is sending it. Pastor Mark isn't God, but I'm standing in the place of God today. And when I send the blessing, do you, can, you guys, can you guys catch the blessing? Can you guys do this? All right. So I'm going to send out my hand and I'm going to say this. The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face to shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. Doesn't that feel good? Isn't that kind of neat? Now, we're not Pentecostal. Uh, we're not. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. We receive these blessings of God. So what was Moses doing? What was God speaking to Moses and the, the, the children of Aaron and what was he doing? He was reminding them where their center was. They would come in the temple and when they leave, he was letting them know, hey, you know what? I'm standing here, but I'm not really the one you should be worrying about. He didn't say, the priest didn't say, I bless you and your pastor loves you. Or the priest thinks you're great, and the priest hopes that you obey. No, no, no. He says this. He says, the Lord bless thee. Who's blessing you? And the Lord keep thee. Who's keeping you? And the Lord make his face to shine upon thee and be gracious to thee. Who is shining upon you? The Lord. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. And verse 27 can be missed if you don't read it carefully. And God says by doing this, this is God's way of putting his name upon his people. How many of you want the name of God on you? I do. I do. Do you know I'm going to be blessing you? I know this sounds really funny. When I was reading about this, it, it made me want to like, I'm thinking, how long would it take? How long would it take if every time the church gathered together, you know, it made me want to like pray for the people. Not pray for the people because I have any spiritual mojo that because of me, but but like I'm like, okay. I'm like, if I could just pray just for Thomas today, if I could just oh God. Like it made me have this feeling. I don't know, you're not you're, you're not me, so you don't know what my life is like, but but like God all of a sudden made me love and I'm like, oh then I can then I can go here. So, oh, wouldn't it be neat? Now we're not gonna do it, don't get scared, okay? Because I added up the time and it's impossible. We couldn't do this. It takes too long. If, if I got to pray 
for each one of you. Uh, every I would do. I'd stay here all afternoon if you wanted. I'd pray for each one of you. It, there's something about this scripture that made me want to pray for you. Is that is that bad? And I, I realize that I need to be praying for you, not just at home, or not just when I think about you, or not just in general as a church or whatever. But there's something that made me just kind of feel this. Like, when do I pray for you? Like you guys, you, you stand around and. And, and when we take communion, and I, I pray for you as a group, but there's just something in that, and I don't want really to get too derailed, but it just made me want to, to bless you and to love you and to bring God's blessing on you. You may go, well, do you have any special powers to do that? I say, yeah, I actually think I do. I think when a father prays for his children, I think it's different than when anybody else does. I think when an elder prays for his church, I think it's different than when anybody else does. I really believe that God gives the people that God has made leaders in the church. He gives them the authority and the power to do something in their lives that nobody else can do. So how many of you would like to be blessed and prayed for by the leaders that God's given you? I do. Andy, will you pray for me sometimes? Just lay your hands on me and pray for me. I want that blessing. He's, what, he's my elder. I don't have two elders. I just got one. I want that blessing from God. In fact, and how it's going to play itself out, though, and, and is, is a little bit different. We used to spend a lot of different time together that we really don't these days. A lot of our time together is grand events, and uh, one of the grand events we have is church, and now because of the way we do activities after church, there's really no... There's no time for me during that time to spend with any of you uh, on one-on-one, and I miss that. Uh, and so I'm going to remedy that situation. How many of you would like, uh, no, I'm not going to ask if you would like it. How many of you would like to know what I'm planning to do in your lives? You, you, you're gonna, you, you will have, this will affect your life. This might even shock and surprise you. You may want to get ready for this. I'm not asking your permission. Uh, I'll certainly have to ask your permission because I'll be coming to your house. I'm coming to your houses. If this is a little scary for you, perhaps maybe you should get to clean it, cleaning it up or something. I don't know. Uh, but you, but don't, you don't have to make me dinner. You don't have to make me dessert. You don't have to entertain me. But I want to come to your houses and I want to pray for you. And you know, I don't need to have a deep counseling session with you or whatever. But I just like to come by and I'd like to pray for you. And I'm going to start doing this. So I don't want to frighten you, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to give you some warning, and I'm going to ask your permission. Can I please, Luke and Laura, could I please come by your house? And I'm going to say, I'd like to come by this week. Could I, could you, it'd be, would it be okay if I came over this night or that night? And I'm going to come maybe after dinner, and I'm going to come to your house, and I'm going to talk to you about you and your children and your life, and I'm going to pray for you. And I may stay long enough to pray for every member of your family. Just letting you know. Get ready. Robinette's coming. Robinette's coming to your house. The Lord bless thee. The Lord keep thee. The Lord make his face to shine upon thee and be gracious to thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. And when they do this, they shall put my name upon the children of Israel and I will bless them. I want the blessing of the Lord in my life. I could see this was a beautiful benefit to the people of God and it was a benefit to the priests who were able to live it out. And I can see how this can add some depth into our community. What a powerful reminder that God gives us through these blessings. Now, I began my sermon with this topic of blessing because it's where the psalm is going. It's not where it starts, but it's where the psalm is going. And so it should always be where we're headed toward the brightness of God's face. Amen. Kevin Swanson, he has this thing. He, he, he says he's stuck. He's like on a record that repeats itself over and over and over. And Ke- if you're with Kevin, Kevin will say this to you. He'll say, behold your God. If you guys know Kevin. You know how he is? You'll be at his house and be like, behold your God. You know, he got, his neck goes down like this and his hands go, behold your God. You know? And this is something that got into him and and if you spend any time with him, he'll stop and every now and then he'll be like, behold your God. And what he's saying is just look at God. It is the message of the Bible. Look at God. 
And so that's where we're headed. So as we begin Psalm 11, I'm going to cover the whole thing today if I can. It begins to the chief musician. And for whatever reason, it's said this before, but I haven't really talked much about it. As it's written to the chief musician, the King James Version interpretation of the same Hebrew phrase can be translated for the choir director. In fact, 55 of the 150 psalms in the Psalter are addressed this way. They're written to the person who was the chief musician, the choir director, who orchestrated the music. And it gives us another important understanding that music is important in the church and to have somebody whose heart and mind is on that in thinking about that and who is gifted with that is something we should continue to pray for. Right now, God has a number of people that are working together in a team to, to do this. But we're praying that God will give us someone who is spiritually gifted to be the chief musician here and the choir director among us. Bible scholars agree it was a commonly understood that this choir director directed temple music. Um, Albert Barnes says this, he said, the idea is that the psalm is to be performed under this person's direction, that the music is to be directed or adapted by this person. Charles Spurgeon is the same. He said the chief musician was the master director of sacred music in the sanctuary. In other words, the psalms were composed for youth, use in public worship. When we gather together, singing is a vital part of gathering just like preaching is you can become a one-sided um, church and you're you can be preaching 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 you can be teaching 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 and you can be singing 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 uh, and you can be out of balance but we need the balance of singing and worship as well as preaching and teaching not only does the psalm begin to tell us that it is the chief musician but it was also a psalm of david it's yet another psalm by the man who is called the man who was after God's own heart, the man who sang and danced before the Lord, and God established his throne forever, Jesus himself being called the son of... Jesus is the son of... He's the son of God, but he's also the son of... David. He starts out his song here from Psalm 11. He says, In the Lord put I my trust... How shall you say to my soul, flee as a bird to the mountain? So if you were just reading this, you might miss the fact that David is declaring something. I put my trust in God. Everybody say, I put my trust in God. David is declaring that's what he does. That's what I do. He's telling, he's singing, he's declaring, I put my trust in God. And he contrasts what others are telling him to do. You should run for your life. That's what they're telling him to do. He's like, I put my trust in God. You're telling me to run for my life? I'm not running for my life. I'm putting my trust in God. That's what this psalm is about. It's a contrast between what your situation and what people do and what you ought to be doing. I put my trust in God. How in the world are you going to say to me, flee as a bird to your mountain. Don't you know I trust in God? Someone tells you to give up and you say, hey, God's word promises me not to go weary in well-doing for in due season I shall reap if I faint not. This would be a good reply. You know what? You really should just settle down. You really are doing too many things. You need to quit doing so much good stuff. Hey, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. You should quit. Oh, no, I'm not going to quit. I'm never going to quit. God's word tells me. I'm not giving up. I'm trusting in God's word. People are so ready to advise us. The pride of human nature loves to tell others what they should do. We like to be wise. True wisdom, godly wisdom, does not come from common experiences. It comes from directing people, directing our hearts to walk by faith and not by what we are seeing. Your own body may say, run. You know, Steve's telling me he's going to become a fireman. One of the sayings of firemen is like, when I hear danger, my body wants me to run the other way, but when I hear danger, I run toward it, right? That's something a fireman says or a first responder. Your, your own body may say run, but if you're a soldier, you run, but you don't run away. You run where? You run too. 
Your heart weakens in the moment, but God's word calls you to courage. Be careful who you take counsel from. Weigh it with what God's word says to do. Here David cries out against the counsel given to him, tempting him to despair and faithlessness. This is reminiscent of Peter's admonition in Matthew 16. Remember this, Jesus is explaining, guys, you need to understand, I didn't come to heal all the people in the hospitals. I didn't come to raise all the people from the dead. I didn't come so that everybody would have all the money in their bank account they're ever going to need so they don't have a problem. I'm coming to die. They're going to kill me. And my body is going to be hung on a cross. I'm going to die. And Peter's like, uh-uh. No way. From that time, it says, Matthew 16, Jesus began to show his disciples what he must go to Jerusalem to do, that he must suffer many things, and that the elders and chief priests and scribes, and he will be killed. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Oh, be it far from thee, Lord. This shall not be unto thee. And what did Jesus have to do but turn unto him and say, Satan, get behind me, <laughs> Right? Even people you love, people that are close to you will encourage you to do what God's word says not to do. Oh, no, I wouldn't go talk to that person about that offense they've made. No, no, they, they're just not going to listen to you. They'll probably just get angry with you. Oh, it's probably not your place to get involved in their lives when you see that they're going down the path to destruction. I mean, they'll just think you're, you think you're better than they are. Don't listen to that bunch of nonsense. God's word says if you love your brother, you go to him. Your, the Bible says if you love your brother, you bear his burden as well as your own burden. Oh, well, you know, you're busy. You've got a lot to do. You, you need to keep to yourself. No, I don't. God's word says if I love him, then I'm going to bear one another's burdens and I am going to so fulfill the law of Christ. My burdens, my brother's burden is my burden as well. Jesus, after rebuking Peter and said, get thee behind me, Satan, thou art an offense to me for thou savorest not the things that are of God but the things of men. Peter was getting caught up in the fact that Jesus could do a lot of good. Jesus could, I mean, what if Jesus could have been around? He could have preached all the perfect sermons for year after year after year. He could have built the most incredible church ever. And he's saying, even if I were here, the church I would build is not the church that I can build if I die. And Jesus modeled for us this. And not only did he model it, but this was the moment he took the opportunity to say, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me, for whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. Psalm 11 and 1 again. If the Lord, in the Lord I put my trust, how can you say to my soul, flee as a bird to the mountains? It's like David's great declaration from Psalm 27. I love it. I use it all the time when I'm feeling discouraged. I love it. Psalm 27. If you don't know it, you should put it in your, uh, your, your quiver. You should put it uh, in your, you know, your ammunition belt. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? That's a good reminder, isn't it, Tim? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? David's reminding himself, hey, I'm not just a guy. But I'm a guy who God said, Oh, David, I'm going to establish your throne forever. David, I'm going to take you, her, this little guy, and I'm going to exalt you and make you king of all of Israel. And David's like, The Lord's the strength of my life. Chest out. Right? That's the only time we have the right to be like that. You don't have to have the right to be like that because you were the state wrestling champion. You don't have the right to be like that because you're the number one Bible quizzer ever in the history of all of ever's. <laughs> the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? David is saying, in the Lord I put my trust. How on earth can I say to my soul, flee as a bird to the mountain? And in the next few verses, he recounts the advice of others that he could not take. If he were to remain faithful to God, whoever it was, and whenever it was, they wanted David to run for his life because, it says in verse 2, because you know about those wicked. <laughs> the wicked, they've got their bow, and their bow has an arrow in it, and it's bent, and it's ready for you, and they're going to get you. That's what, that's what somebody told them. They're, what are they trying to do, guys? 
I mean, if telling you what you ought to do won't, isn't good enough, they've got to paint the picture. Don't you know how this isn't going to work out for you, Jonathan? I mean, seriously? You should run for your life. Don't you know they got a bow, they got an arrow, and they're pulling it back, and they're out to get you. Oh, run, David, run. Can't you just see it? The wicked bend their bow. They make ready their arrow upon the string, and privately and secretly, just when you're not thinking about it, in a bush where you can't see them, oh, they're going to get the upright. They're out to get you, David. David's like, <laughs> I trust in the Lord. You think I'm scared of these guys? You think I'm scared of these guys? They're trying to kill you, David. Run for your life. David understood that his life was in the hands of God and running away was not an option. In verse 3, we hear the words of another naysayer that advised David that anything he would do would be pointless. How many of you have this? Uh, you know, I mean, what, I mean, what are you going to do, Christina? Really? I mean, who are you? I mean, when things are really, really bad, I mean, I mean, come on, Stephen. I mean, what? what? I mean, you look at the world and everything that's in it and all that's falling apart and, and, you know, billionaires and governments and everyone's a criminal. I mean, what? What? What can you do, Andy? I mean, what? what's your little grain of sand going to matter on the beach of, of the unfaithfulness of the heathen world? Come on. Just forget about it. Your little contribution isn't going to matter. That's, what it, that's what's going on here in verse 3. If the foundations are destroyed... What can the righteous do? Everybody say if. Yeah. If. Yeah. See, this is how this... I, God, in His wisdom, picks every single solitary word and He throws in this admonition from someone. If. You see, the fact the foundations aren't destroyed, they can't be destroyed. But the, but the devil, he likes to throw the ifs in there. Well, you know, if. If. You do this, then we watched a movie last night, a really grainy old movie called Hudson Taylor. I don't know if you've seen this. If your family hasn't seen it, if you can get, if you know, if, if you haven't been, you know, petted into whatever by all the perfect digital images, watch a really dumb grainy movie called Hudson Taylor. He said he was so poor. He said that, 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 he, that he, there was no way that he could, he made so little money he couldn't tithe. He said, but God told him that he should. And, and so what did he, they said, well, what'd you do? He said, well, he said, I moved out of the place I lived and I found a smaller place. He said, I found I could live on even half of what I thought I could live on before. And I found I ended up having more. Hudson Taylor's talking about this. Hudson Taylor, it's a whole thing. He goes to China. He does, they keep telling him, what are you, are you crazy? You want to go in there and, and shave your head and wear a ponytail? Well, he's like, I don't know. I, I don't know how to reach him. God's wanting me to reach these people. I don't know what to do. You're going to dress like them? Seriously, Hudson? Missionaries don't do that. Missionaries, this is what they do. They stay in the main city. And over time, they build a rapport. We don't go inside of China. And you know what he did? He started China Inland Mission. And he started going into the interior. And yes, you know what? His little daughter dies. He, he runs a clinic. His daughter dies. And they're like, you know what? If you really cared about your family, you wouldn't be here. If you really cared about your wife, you wouldn't be here. But where did he know he needed to be, guys? He need, that's why we're saying his name. Because Hudson Taylor lost his life and found one. And in heaven, I don't think he will regret anything that he did. I've seen this one little word, if, stand in the way of... The faithful many times causing them to worry when there is nothing actually to worry about. They're fretting when there's nothing truly to be fretful about. Jesus warned against us. He, he warned us against ourselves here. This little menace that spoils the vine of our peace. If, if they say this happens, if that happens, if I lose my job, if my wife leaves me, if my son or daughter turn away from me, if my wife doesn't live. If, 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 if. Jesus said that we were not to worry about the ifs in our life and be paralyzed by them as if these imaginary troubles of our heart were real. Jesus said real trouble is going to come one day. And I'll be able to handle not only your ifs, but I can handle the real things that come. Amen.
Here in Psalm 11, the false advisor troubled David's heart to despair. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? It's like coming home. Now, if you came home and there was a little fire in your kitchen, run in the house, grab a towel, you know, put it in the bathtub and you know, go to town, put that thing out. But, but if you came home, Tim, and the house was burned to the ground, and the foundations, uh, the concrete's even broken up, and you know, whatever. It's not time to grab a town, right? This person's trying to create a hopeless situation. If the foundations are destroyed, I mean, don't you think it's time to just quit? At that point, trying to put out the fires, hopeless, David's corrupt counselor had tried to entice him at what seemed hopeless when David knows the God who specializes in hopeless. With man, some things are impossible, but with God, all things are possible. If only you had been there, Jesus, Martha cried to him outside the grave of her brother Lazarus in Bethany. He had laid there for four days. If only you had been... He stinks. He's been dead. For, it's, of, of course, it's too late. Oh, but Martha, <laughs> Jesus is never too late. Amen? She would learn this lesson that day when her brother, still bound in his death clothes, came forth. At the call of Jesus, there is nothing too hard for God. Many wondering how it could be possible for her to have a child when she was yet a virgin. Mary had never known a man. And how could it be possible when the angel says you're going to bear a child? Hear the angels reply today, for with God nothing shall be impossible. I love David's reply to this doubt-spewing accusation against God and against His power. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? David's reply in verse 4 does something that you might miss unless I point it out for you. He looks away from the problem to the problem solver. This is a very difficult thing to do. Sometimes we, we look at the situation, we go, it's bad, it can't be fixed, what can be done, it's not going to work out, there's no hope, how can anything get better, there's no, and, and there's where we are, right? And what David does is go, you're pointing me to foundations that are destroyed, and there's nothing that I can do, but I'm going to do this, I'm going to turn away from what I'm looking at. What does the Bible say? How do Christians walk? Do they walk by what they see? Do we look at foundations that seemingly are destroyed? Do we believe that the church has been engulfed and overtaken? Do we look at America and just talk about how it's a pagan nation and it's never going to turn back and we're going to be cursed and our, we're going to be nothing but all the... I hate it when I hear people talk like that. I would love to hear people say, oh, God is so good. He could take a reprobate. He could take a nation that seems so far from Him. God can do anything. And you know what? I'm looking around the corner for Him to come. I'm looking through the tunnel at the light. I'm looking because I know it's coming. That's how Christians live their lives. That's how they ought to live their lives. But the world around us, oh, it's bad. It's terrible. It's horrible. Oh, everything's a mess. It's falling apart. It's so gross. It's disgusting. Oh, no. Oh, no. Because they want you to look at the problem. And God says, quit looking at the problem and start looking at me. So what David does. Quit looking down. Everybody say quit looking down. And look up. Your redemption draws nigh. Serving God is a lot about not looking down. How many of you are afraid of heights? We got, we got an amen on the front row here from my dad. How many of you have ever been somewhere and you were fine? You were just doing just fine. It was all good until you went like this. <gasps> Has this ever happened to any of you? I was fine driving around in Myanmar until we went around a corner and, and someone had told me don't look. And we went around this corner on this gravel thing and I looked out the window and I went, oh, whoa, you. When I was a teen, I went on an all-night coon hunt in West Virginia with my cousin Mike. A group of us were in his hunting buddies. We were running around with a bunch of eager dogs. If you've never done coon hunting, I would highly recommend it. It's kind of dangerous, but it's really great. You go out in the middle of the night, like 11 or 12 o'clock at night, with guns and lanterns and dogs, and then you run through the woods at night. It's really great. The dogs take off running, and they're barking, and they're, they're barking up trees, and, 
and all the stuff's going on and you're running and you're hoping to be the one to get to the tree and shine the light up on the coon up there and, and someone else gets a gun and boom, out of the tree, right? Oh, it's great. It's fantastic fun. Well, one time we were doing this and, and I was running around and, and, and we all came and we came down this hill and we're like sliding down the hill and we're rolling down the hill and we run up to this tree and it's this huge tree and all the guys are like, yeah, look at the coon. And there were like a couple raccoons and they run up and, oh it's gonna be great it's gonna be great and the dogs are jumping and we're all like you know wow this is exciting and then someone goes stop nobody move what's going on someone took a light and shown it and we were on the edge of like a 150 foot cliff and i remember looking over and going oh and like just falling down and i'm like i have been standing on the edge of this cliff going oh look look at the candy But the moment I looked down, what did I do? I fell down. I'm like, I'm not, I don't want to be anywhere near the tree. I don't care about the raccoon. I don't care about anything. I just want to sit down. I want to get like lay flat, you know. I didn't know that there was something to be afraid of, but I'm trying to turn it the opposite way. Folks, you don't need to look down. You need to look up. I wrote all that down so I had to scroll past it, so... Looking down can zap all of your strength when you look at, at the height of excitement of serving God. Looking down can take faith and turn it into fear. While this worked out well in the coon hut to keep us safe, serving God calls us to look up, to walk by faith, and not at what we see. Looking at our circumstances as Peter taught us, right? He stepped out of the boat. He was fine. He's walking on the water. It's all good until he does what? He, he looks down. He looks at the wind and the waves. Look up to God in faith. So here in verse 4, how does he do it? He just says this. He says, the Lord is in his holy temple. I mean, it's the opposite direction. They're telling you, where are our foundations, guys? They're down here, right? And the person goes, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? You can almost see them leaning over. You can almost feel it in the middle of your back. Look down there. Yeah. And David replies by doing this. The Lord is in His holy temple. Can you see this? This is what this song should do to you. It should remind you that when you are tempted to look down, when you're tempted to look at the circumstance, when you're tempted to look at what can't work out, any good, reasonable way, look up. The Lord's in His holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold. His eyelids try the children of men. Everybody say, Behold your God. He is in His holy temple. He rules heaven. The King of kings and the Lord of lords reigns. See how David turns his head from where his enemies and his doubts point him. And this is what he would have us to do. As I was writing this, uh, I'm typing away and typing away. And Jonathan, uh, Jonathan, uh, he, where, where's Jonathan? Huh? Oh, he's over here. Some of you would probably think it was pretty funny. Jonathan and I worked together and Jonathan, his knee is almost touching my knee. I'm sitting in a chair like this, and he's like that, and I'm typing, and I'm over there, and I'm like, ha, 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 and he goes, oh, he goes, whatever you write must be getting good. And I'm like, yeah, it is. And I'm writing, and I'm writing, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Right? Can you see where I am? I'm reading about this. I'm like, we need to turn away from our circumstance, and we need to turn to God. And I'm like, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face, right? And the things of this earth will grow strangely thin. I can, I can hit a false, I don't know. In the light of His glory and grace, right? And I'm like, I'm typing away, you know? And I'm like, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to mention this song in my sermon. And uh, I better get the lyrics right because my wife reminds me that my lyrics, half the time I make them up and I, I don't remember them, you know? And so I'm like, you know, I'll even I'll offer our church something good, Andy. I won't just quote him. I'll say, in the words of the famed hymn writer Isaac Watts or whoever it was, you know. And so I'm like, I'm going to look it up. And you might go, your pastor's crazy. That's right. If I miss in a song, I look it up. If I, who wrote it, I want to look it up. I'll even look at the history. And so I'm, I'm in there and, and I'm like, I'm going to offer Jason something good. I'm going to let him know who wrote Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. It's going to be great. I mean, come on. Perfect song for the sermon, right? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Now, if I would have told Jonathan that, that's probably be our song after our sermon, right? 
but I didn't tell him. O soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There's light for a look at the Savior and a life more abundant and free. You guys know this song? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. As I was writing, I was thinking, oh, it'd be nice to give Him some info on that song. Not realizing that God was at work in ways I could never know. So Andy, I look it up. Who wrote this song? And when did they write this song? Kind of like, remember when you were at that concert and you're hearing the words of the song and you're like, there's got to be a story. You don't just write words like that. When someone writes a song like Andrew Peterson writes about God's always good, you, you, you go, there's God, somebody, that, th- those things don't just come out of the air. They come from something deep, right? So turn your eyes upon Jesus. I'm thinking, well, maybe, hey, you know what? I should probably figure out who wrote this. I thought it was an afterthought. I'll look at the author's name. And what I found was a perfect illustration to close my message with today. You see, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus was written by a woman that I would have loved to meet. Her name is Helen Howarth Limmel. Mrs. Limmel was born in Wardle, England to a Wesleyan Methodist pastor and his wife back in 1863. When Helen was 12 years old, her family migrated to America and they lived in Mississippi for a while and then in Wisconsin and her singing was so good and she was such a beautiful singer that everybody wanted to have her. Oh, come and sing at our church and, and come and sing for us and people were always having her. In fact, she became so good that they said, you know, not only are you good, but you could really be good if you had some training. And so they sent her to Germany. So she goes to Germany and she gets special uh, learning and while she's there, she meets this handsome, super wealthy man and they come back to America and her singing ability now she has great education and churches everywhere want her and they even bring her to the Moody Institute to teach singing and then they bring her to this Los Angeles uh, college where she does uh, teaching there called the Bible Institute of Los Angeles and she kind of had a, she kind of thought to herself you know my life is set what a wonderful life I have More and more people are just going to have me sing. And my life's going to be so good and so filled with wonderful things. But that wasn't God's plan for her life. While she was in Los Angeles, she contracted an illness. I I really looked and tried to find out what it was, but I don't know what it was. Maybe it was rheumatic fever, but I don't know. But she went blind. And I began to cry when I read that, that the person that wrote the song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus, was blind. And I thought, oh, oh God. It took blindness to come into her life for her to write the song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. But I kept reading and it really wasn't the blindness that did that for her you see because her husband had a real difficult time dealing with her illness he didn't like it and it was hard for him and so he abandoned her so not only was she blind and she couldn't do the things she could she couldn't even care for herself her husband abandons her and of course she can't chase after him because she can't see him So now she's a blind, abandoned woman with little resources alone in life. Kind of makes me think a little differently of that song. When I sing that song, really for the rest of my life, I'm going to remember that the woman who wrote it was blind. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, she wrote. Not only did she lose her sight, But her once doting husband could not cope and he abandoned her and now she was blind and poor. In the darkness time of her life, God gave her an anthem of truth that came with it, trusting God. And she could have turned away from God, but you know what she did, Dan? She wrote 500 hymns. (laughs) 
she wrote a book. She never got remarried. No one took care of her. In fact, but she lived till she was 98 years old. Someone talked to her about the song. She said, I stood still singing this song in my soul and spirit. There was this chorus that came up. There was not one conscious moment of putting one word to another to make it rhyme or one note to make a melody. The verses were written and the song came out of me. It just came out. Just those words and that, that, that tune, everything came out. And she said, I realized that my gifts weren't really much to offer God, but that really just trusting Him. It was dictated by the Holy Spirit. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Helen had a small plastic keyboard by the side of her bed. She couldn't afford a piano. And she had this little teeny plastic keyboard. She lived in the night. She lived, you know, in, in the 1900s, she lived a really long time, and she had this little tiny plastic, like, plate-like keyboard thing next to her bed. And she said, one day God is going to bless me with a heavenly keyboard. I can hardly wait. David went on to say, the Lord tries the reins, but the wicked, and him that loveth violence, his soul hateth. Upon the wicked shall God rain snares, fire, brimstone, and a horrible tempest. This shall be the portion of their cup. You see, David was reminding us of what Psalm 1 had already said. Right? Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, but whatsoever he doeth shall what? And what is David reminding us of next? He said, but the ungodly are not so. David wasn't going to be among them. David had his moments. He had his times, just like all of us study. He had sin in his life, but he realized the emptiness of it. The ungodly are not so, but they're like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. He said, this is what's coming on the wicked. But the righteous the Lord loves. The righteous, His countenance does behold the upright. May our faces shine today as we look up into His beautiful face. The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make His face to shine upon thee and be gracious to thee. The Lord lift up His countenance upon thee and give thee peace. Oh, may that be what we want today. May we want His blessings. May we want His face shining upon us. I'm going to read for you what Brother Andy read for us in our reading today. That should give us hope. He said, Nevertheless, it shall turn to the Lord and the veil will be taken away. The Lord is that Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is there is liberty. But we all with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. It is only by beholding the face of God that we are changed. May we today look away from the things that the world would have us look at, that, that the naysayers of the world, that our doubts and fears would point us to, and may we look to Him the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the, chain, the shame, but is now seated at the right hand of God, ever living to make intercession for His people. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Oh Lord, give us shining faces today. As Moses' face shone, being in Your presence, on the mountain, the great and terrible dark cloud-covered mountain, oh God, His face shone. The children of Israel were not allowed to go to approach the mountain or even to touch the mountain or they would die. But somehow, something has changed. And now we can come. We can come to the mountain. 
We don't have to come with fear. We can step on it. We can walk on it. We can come up. We can see where your finger writes the law and it doesn't write it on stone anymore, but it writes it on the tables of our heart. Oh, give us shining faces, Lord. May the veil be taken away from us, O oh God, and may we shine to others and may what they see in us be you shining on us. In Christ's name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Hello, this is Pastor Mark Robinette of Foundation Church. Thank you for taking the opportunity to listen to our audio sermons. We would love to hear from you if you have any comments, questions, or just to let us know how they served you. Go to our website, www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org, and send us a note. Thank you, and it's a pleasure to serve you.